everyone, to this very special edition of Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. The reason this day is so special is because Nelson DeMille and his son, Alex DeMille, are with me in the studio today. Um, A few years ago, I had the honor of speaking to Nelson DeMille, who asked me to refer to him as Lord DeMille or Lord Nelson, which I, I gladly did because, after all, he is kind of the royalty of action and adventure. So I asked Alex, how should I address him? And he said, I guess I'm a Duke. So there you go. Um, you know, or, or who are you named after Alex? Oh, the Conqueror. So, um, uh, so Conqueror Alex, his son is here too. Welcome to Authors on the Air, both of you. Thank you. Good to be here. So let me tell you a little bit about Nelson DeMille in the event you've been, you know, living in a foreign country where no one speaks English or reads books. Um, Nelson is the New York Times number one best-selling author of 21 novels, including his most recent number one, which is called The Cuban Affair. It was awesome. I read the book. It was great. Two of his novels, May Day and Word of Honor, were made into TV movies, and The General's Daughter was made into a motion picture, a major motion picture, starring John Travolta and Madeline Stowe. I remember that film. It was excellent. He's written short stories, book reviews, articles for magazines and newspapers. He's a decorated combat decorated u.s army veteran a member of mensa i'm in trouble uh, poets and writers the authors guild a member and past president of mwa and was named the thriller master for the international thriller writers um, he lives in new york with his family his son alex demille is a writer a director a film editor um, he received his MBA from Yale and his MFA in film directing from UCLA. He's won major awards and fellowships for his screenplays and films, including The Absence, which was named the best film at Comic-Con in 2012. He's edited commercial shorts, independent films, and among them, My Nephew Emmett, which was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Live Action Short in 2018. This is the first book that Alex has written with his father, and it's called The Deserter. I want to welcome you both again and tell you that I read this book in one sitting. It was so good and so full of snark that how can you not love an an action-adventure thriller that's also kind of smart-assy? (laughs) which I appreciated. (laughs) So let me start with you, Nelson, because you are, after all, the Lord here. Um, How did you talk Alex into writing a book with you? Uh, I think I mentioned money. (laughs) 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 You got to get right to the the crux of it. You know, I needed a a co-author. I had signed a, in a weak moment, I signed a contract with my publisher, Simon & Schuster, to do a new series that was going to be co-authored. And I hadn't really co-authored a book since uh, May Day in 1977 and wow. 78 maybe. And um, it wasn't a good experience. I co-authored it with a good friend of mine, Tom Block, who was a U.S. Air pilot. And it was a, actually uh, uh, an airline adventure novel, airline disaster novel. So I needed, you know, I needed a co-author. And, and Tom is a good writer. He's written a lot of stuff for magazines and uh, journals. So, you know, we, we set off on the project and um, the book was good. We made, got a TV movie, it was a bestseller. 
but the experience wasn't very good. It was, you know, you know budding egos. So when Simon Schuster came to me 40 years later and said, you know, we'd really like you to do a three-book co-authored series, I kind of reluctantly said, okay, maybe time has come. And so we actually did a little contest. We asked a bunch of authors uh, to submit some chapters. Was, and the judges were uh, my publisher and my uh, editor and my uh, two of my agents uh, from ICM. And they, uh, the submissions came in blind. So we didn't know who they were, if they were male or female. And all of us agreed on one guy, and uh, I won't mention his name, and he really respected writer. And he started writing, and it took about six months to realize that uh, he and I were not on the same page. And Uh-oh. I kind of remembered you know, why I didn't want to co-author. Right. And I just put the project aside, and I said, you know, I've got other things to do. I was working at that time on The Cuban Affair, my last right. book. And then by that time, I was starting to... Uh, think about my next book, and uh, but the publisher was pushing for it, and I said, "Oh my God, I got to come up with somebody, but I don't want to stick my neck out and you know pick somebody who didn't work the last time. It didn't work. It was everybody's uh, <laughs> everybody had skin in the game, so I didn't feel like I I'd proposed anybody who couldn't do it. But they said, "No, you got to find somebody this time. We're not doing any more contests." Uh, and I just sat there one day, and I was thinking about something or another. I was watching maybe a movie on TV, and just it hit me that my son is a screenwriter and knows how to write. So I made the call immediately, and I, I think I started off with, you know, hi, Alex, how would you like to make some easy money? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I, uh, Alex can take it from there. I don't think Alex was, uh, he didn't jump on board right away. Well, it was the <laughs> easy money part that probably scared him, the easy <laughs> part. Yeah, right. you, can never, right. you, can never, you can never trust anybody who says that to you. Easy money, but, um, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, obviously I was flattered by being asked about it, but um, I didn't, you know, it's not what I've been doing. I've been, I've been yes, at that moment I've been uh, writing screenplays and also editing films, and uh, it was, you know, it was a departure. I knew I just knew I knew it was going to be my life and take over my life, and this would be like my 100% uh, career at least for the duration of the book. Um, and you know, also it's Nelson DeMille asking you to write a book with him, even when he's your father. That's still an intimidating proposition, and I wanted to make sure that uh, you know I knew I knew it hadn't worked out. <laughs> I already heard about it about the other uh, right. the other author, so I wanted to make sure that right. didn't happen again, and that you know I could I could uh, contribute enough where okay, this is a co-author property. I'm not ghostwriting as Nelson DeMille, but I wanted to make sure I could do something that was in the same ballpark that would um, be entertaining and interesting to his pre-existing fans, uh, but also something that I felt uh, I could do and I'd be excited about. And, and so we, he, he had had the, origi- the initial uh, idea of the deserter independent of me, um, and, when, and when we got together, we sort of figured out how to change it from the, pre- the pre-existing project to make it something kind of new and different from what they'd already been working on, and basically started from scratch. Uh, and once wow. we both kind of had a had a pitch worked out um, that we liked, we we took it to the our agents and publisher, and they were excited about it. And, and it, I was excited to write the book just as as a, as, a, as a project and as a narrative. It was something I was interested in. So. You know, um, the the book is is very detailed, and I like I was looking inside the the book when you open it up, the hardcover, and you've got this picture of Venezuela, and everyone knows Venezuela's in, in turmoil, of course. And I think, oh my gosh, Aruba's just right off Venezuela. It's one of my favorite places to visit. And here's this country that's kind of torn apart by 
the craziness that's going on in their in their government or is not going on. You know, the government's totally failed its people. Um, how did you decide that that's where you were going to set this book? The the majority of it, I should say. Yeah, well, originally it was set in Paris, and that wasn't really exciting enough. It was, uh, and then the uh, co-author, the original co-author, I suggested he find someplace else that's a little bit more dangerous, and he uh, settled on Thailand, so that was incarnation too, and that was kind of working. But when I gave the project to Alex, I said, you know, it's not working here because I just come off the Cuban affair. And what right. was interesting about that book was that it was set in Cuba, which is, you know, an authoritarian country where people can get into trouble. So right. I said, find, find someplace. I said, you can't do Cuba again, but we can do something like that. And I, you know, kind of had a, a map in my mind. And I said, you know, just think of some place that's totally, that's totally chaotic and anar- anarchic. And uh, and he came up with Venezuela. I love it. It's a, yeah. it's a great setting. Go ahead, Thank Alex. Thank you. Oh, yeah. So it, it had been in, at the time of this conversation. It had been all over the headlines. It kind of keeps popping up, but I think the first time it yes. was really back on people's radars. It was there was a major protest and you know it was a lot of violence going on there, anti-government protests. And it was just, it was also a country I'd always been interested in, and I also just knew from watching my dad work the degree to which he dives into his uh, into his research and how how much time he spends and how seriously he takes the settings of his books, which is one of the, my favorite things about his books. So I knew, okay, I'm, I know I'm going to be whatever country it is, whatever place it is, I'm going to need to really do a deep dive and learn a lot about it and take you know take the setting itself, the specificity of the setting, really seriously. And um, I thought, you know, Venezuela is a place I'm intrigued by, and I think I want to learn a lot more about it. So it's as simple as that, that, that the research angle itself might be uh, enjoyable, which makes it a lot easier to do. So you're talking about research, Alex, um, and I know that you have to, inv- if you haven't been boots on the ground in, in Venezuela, that you have to do plenty of research because you want it to be somewhat accurate since, as you stated earlier, it's been in the news and a lot of people know about it. And quite honestly, a lot of people in this country have been to Venezuela or are from Venezuela, particularly where I live. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm originally from Miami. So how did you go about researching to make sure your accuracy was, was not compromised? Uh, I began with, just reading every book I could find, either about Hugo Chavez or about the country in general. And then, of course, you know, you got to set up a Google alert. So every time there was a new article about Venezuela or, or about Maduro, I'd read it just to ca- catch up on the current events. Um, and then the uh, the actual job of describing the place was challenging. Uh, I was I was sad to learn there was no Google Maps. <laughs> I mean, Google, uh, sorry, Google Street View for Caracas. I mean, the right. Google trucks didn't, didn't really want to drive around there, <laughs> which is understandable. Uh, so I was relying right. a lot on map, maps and satellite pictures. And then finally, the thing that was the most valuable was uh, speaking to expats. Uh, there are a, a few people I knew here in New York who know uh, and knew some Venezuelan expats who were living in New York. So I was able to speak to a number of them, including one gentleman who's still living in Caracas who's involved with the kind of anti uh, anti-government, uh, but uh, nonviolent uh, movement there. Right. So right, between right. all of them, I felt, and they were a little. They were. I wasn't talking to anybody who lived in the barrios necessarily, but they were a relatively good cross section of as far as socioeconomic levels. So I thought like I had gotten a pretty good picture, and then I did show some chapters to 
a couple of uh, a couple of Venezuelan acquaintances after we'd written them, just to make sure I wasn't getting anything wrong. Of course, lots of it's subjective, but as far as the objective right. piece goes, I wanted to make sure we got it right. And and people seemed to to think I was doing a, a good job of it. Nelson, you have, um, of course, your military career gives you creds when it comes to the actual scenes from the military conflict and what Kyle Mercer is doing, even though I don't think, and I could be wrong, you were not in Afghanistan or any place like that, but maybe you have been and I don't know that. Um, So may I assume that the being the combat decorated army veteran that you are, you were able to flush out the scenes as to Kyle Mercer's desertion and what the normal chain uh, process is when that happens. Yeah, that's, that's it. I know I had not been in Afghanistan, but I spent an unhappy year in Vietnam. Um, you know, when they write um, the, uh, the bad guy in the book, the antagonist, I guess, the deserter is Kyle Mercer. Um, and I, you know, this book is loosely based on the Bo Bergdahl case. And if you remember, I know you do. Mm-hmm. Bo Bergdahl yes. back in, I think 2014 was a PFC in the army. He was in Afghanistan and one night he just walked off his post and, um, he was captured by the Taliban. Um, and then he uh, spent two years in Taliban captivity and was uh, released in exchange for some Taliban commanders. So, you know, yeah, as a military guy, I'm thinking, you know, I'm in Vietnam, I'm with my men, and we're, we're dug in, we're at a, you know, an outpost. Uh, mm-hmm. I can imagine myself walking away from, you know, the relative safety of, a, of an army unit into uh, hostile territory. And I found it fascinating why he would do this. And at the time, I remember saying when he was going to be released, he must have a hell of an interesting story. Uh, but it wasn't that interesting. He was kind of a kind of a loser, but that doesn't make a good book. So uh, I said, you know, uh, and actually it was Alex who said, let's make him a Delta Force captain. Uh, so he's, uh, he's he's you know he's an elite unit, and he's got right. a good combat record. And and the big mystery of the book is why did Kyle Mercer, who's actually you know sort of my Bo Bergdahl character, why did right. Kyle Mercer desert? Desert. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, desertion is a is a big thing in the army. When you do it in hostile sure. territory, I have no no idea why anybody would do that. And that, right. that became the central one of the central mysteries of the deserter. Why did the man desert? And uh, in in this book, uh, you know, Kyle Mercer. Well, I mean, Bergdahl in reality, of course, was exchanged, but Mercer disappears after two years of Taliban uh, Taliban captivity. Uh, he actually kills his captors in the book without giving too much away. I guess he gave away right. chapter one or chapter two, but uh, then he shows up and you know why Caracas? Because that's he just shows up in Caracas. He's seen by an old army buddy who happens to be in Caracas on business, and the army buddy does the right thing and calls the army, and um, that that's kind of propels the book forward because then we meet our CID characters, Army Criminal Investigation Division characters. Scott Brody and Maggie Taylor, who are tasked by uh, the general and, the, and their colonel to go to Caracas to find Kyle Mercer and to bring him back to justice. So, you know, this is where we, we took, kind of took off from the, the real case of uh, Bo Bergdahl. And so, yeah, most right. of the book is now set in Caracas. You know, and the Army stuff is, 
you know, it's been a while since I've been in the Army. It's been about sure. oh, 40 years. But the Army doesn't change a lot. And uh, no. things that no, were there doesn't. that were, were, were true when I was there, things about, you know, duty, honor, country, and things like, you know, horrible things like desertion or, or getting men killed looking for you, which is what happened with the Bergdahl case and which had happened in this book. Uh, something that doesn't change. And I, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which is something I had to read when I was in the Army, hasn't really changed since in 40 years. So with that background, I felt confident that I could, you know, I could do a, you know, a good, fairly accurate representation of what would happen, how the Army chain of command would react, and uh, what they need to do to bring him back to justice. So I gave that part to Alex, and Alex, uh, you know, was the my Venezuela guy, and uh, he created the characters of uh, Maggie Taylor and Bo Bergdahl. Ah, that's, that's what I wanted to know. Who who created those characters? Because Scott Brody is really a cool character. Uh, Alex, <laughs> where where in your imagination did he come from? Because he's kind I'd of a wise-ass. You know? Well, the wise, the wise ass is kind of baked into my dad's right, writing and his characters, and uh, <laughs> so we knew that was going to be there. And I think you know he, that that was there. That was he, Scott Brody in particular. I think was kind of somewhat, somewhat there and somewhat developed ahead of time. Um, but I, I did help him come up with some of his backstory, and uh, we had decided that you know uh, he and his female partner would both be um, combat veterans of the of the of the quote unquote war on terror. Right. You know, uh, uh, Brody in uh, Iraq and, and Maggie Taylor in Afghanistan. Um, but yeah, you know, on the surface, there obviously are a lot of similarities to other uh, DeMille characters like John Corey and uh, Mac McCormick right. from The Cuban Affair. But the thing I thought was interesting about him is he's he's not just former military, he's still active duty in a different capacity. Um, and we, somebody had asked us what's the difference between him and John Corey, and I, I was thinking about it, and I think one of the things is, um, you know, John Corey kind of has a a Columbo thing going on where he wants people to underestimate him. He doesn't mind people thinking he's kind of a clown. Um, even though he's the smartest guy in the room, he kind of uses it. Whereas I think Scott Brody is, he's a wise ass and he's an iconoclast, but he's also a military man who does want to kind of project uh, competence and confidence in a way. Um, so I think yeah. there may be similar senses of humor, but I think there's a little bit different of the way to approach it. Um, yes. No, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And where did Maggie come from? Because she, to me, is a fascinating character. I think, you know, I, and I'm only going to go as far, I, I'm only going to go so far with this, but but up until the, uh, the first couple chapters, there seemed to be a lot of layers to peel away with her. When she tells her, her own experience and all, you just have a feeling there's more. And the more they go into their search for Kyle Mercer, and the deeper they delve, boy, there are just a lot of layers, not only to her and Scott, but to the story in itself. Yeah, well, yeah, this, we, was, this was, yeah, go ahead. you know, Maggie and Scott are both uh, mid-30s, and I happen to have a mid-30s uh, co-author, so I kind of, you know, I said, you know, I don't, I don't understand women to begin with, but Definitely don't understand 35-year-old women, so I gave that to Alex. I said, create a character that men will uh, love and women will like. And I think he did a good job of it. I don't know how he did it, but uh, <laughs> but he did it. So let me ask you, Alex, first of all, 
pretend like your dad's not on the phone. Um, how did you like the experience of writing your first book with your father, who's a beloved international best-selling author? Uh, it, it was nice to start a book with, uh, you know, here's your book deal, here's your agents, here's your publisher, here's your here's your editor, and uh, it was it was it was definitely a, a rarefied way to go about it. Where I mean, I've had friends who are also writers or screenwriters or who whatever it is, and you, you you begin this the process with so much uncertainty, and you put in just the same amount of work and and blood and sweat and tears, right. not knowing if anybody's ever actually going to read it. So it was nice to have that up front, um, and then also knowing you know knowing having an intimate understanding of, of his books, obviously from growing up with him and his process, but then knowing I was going to learn something new by actually participating in it. Um, so it was, it was interesting. So um, I, I'm glad you were honest and said it was interesting. Um, your background as a screenwriter and a writer of other things in that particular area of creativity gives you, I think um, kind of a heads up and a little bit of a, head start maybe on how to write without too much narrative. Do you think that's mm. true? I think so. I think that I'd already gotten a lot of, um, a lot of any kind of tendencies towards overly purple prose probably beaten out of me from, from writing screenplays where you can absolutely have, you have to be, you, can, you really can't indulge in any of that. You know, um, if you're right. describing a setting or, or a person or whatever it is, you really have to be, you have to just give just enough to communicate with your co the collaborators who are going to be the producer and the director and the actors, et cetera. But um, you don't want to get carried away. Uh, so I approaching this and knowing I was, we were working on a, you know, modern commercial piece of fiction anyway. Uh, I think I'd had a, some of those tendencies put in check at the same time. It did allow for a little bit more of that, you know, because we, we were, when you're, when you're writing a book, you're the author of the entire thing, which is nice versus a screenplay. Um, so right. I, did, I did enjoy, I enjoyed um, having a little bit more space to kind of play with the, descriptive prose than, than you would have in a screenplay. But I guess some of that discipline had already been, I already kind of uh, absorbed it from, from all the screenwriting. So Nelson, how would you grade um, Alex's uh, contribution to this book? <laughs> how would I grade it? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, uh, I'm not confident right from the beginning. It's when I saw the first, you know, uh, three or four cha chapters, you know, there's different ways to collaborate and some, <laughs> Some writers, uh, when they're collaborating, write alternate chapters, which is not the way to do it. And I was, we, Alex and I were just speaking to somebody the other day who knew two screen, uh, not screenwriters, two novelists who uh, collaborated on a book, and they didn't particularly like each other. And one uh, always tried to write the other one into the corner because with the alternate chapter, and uh, you know, it became a, a contest. So I just had uh, Alex write the first drafts, and I became the editor. I mean, after. 22 books I knew how to edit because uh, I've been editing sure. so much. So I became right. the editor of the first draft, and I found that I wasn't doing a lot of editing. But one of the things I was doing is sometimes Alex would uh, be uh, very oh, minimalist because that's the screenwriting background. Right. And, uh, I said sometimes you got to milk a scene for a little bit more. Sometimes the dialogue has to go on for another two or three uh, sentences, whereas in screenwriting you don't get that. So I kind of, you know, said, just, you know, feel free, just write. We we can always edit. Uh, when you right. write a screenplay and you turn it in, and if it's more than 90 or 100 pages, uh, whoever's reading it goes crazy. They don't see a screenplay that long. But with a novel, right. you can write a 700-page a novel, and then you edit it down to 500. 
So I said, you know, let yourself just roam all over the page and uh, uh, let me do the editing, and then eventually we give it to an editor. Uh, with screenwriting, you don't get a second chance. Yeah, it's interesting you should say that because um, I've had some writers who come on the show and say the first draft is kind of like throwing up all your words on the page, right. and then you go back when you edit and you're cleaning it up and you're making more sense. So, Alex, I have a specific question about you writing the first draft. Did you have ideas that you wanted to use but knew they weren't the right time to use them? That's a good question. I think I've I've blocked so much of it out at this point. I have to think for a second. Um, I probably. I mean, it was different. It's it's different to be writing for a co-author than obviously it is to be writing for an editor because I knew – I knew that the way he was going to be looking at it was different. Um, and the mm-hmm. thing I thought was most important was to communicate to him uh, what it was that I was trying to do, you know, um, because I feel like sometimes you want to know if something's not working, you want to at least know what the other person is intending so that you can sort of offer your point of view on what could make it better. Um, right. so that was always, that was always my, I'm like, I want to make, obviously want to write this so he has as little work, work as possible when I get it to him. But ultimately, I thought I'd rather give something that's a little flawed, but is what it, it is in the ballpark of what I want, what I so I envision, versus something that I think might be more closer to done. That is not, it's kind of not quite as uh, I'm not swinging for the fences as much in terms of what it is I'm trying to do. If that makes sense. So when you were, when you both are, you know, you both have in mind where you want this book to go. As co-writers, do you? have kind of a a storyboard that you use so that you know where it's going or or is this more organic and then you're turning over certain chapters alex yeah it was it wasn't quite that structured it was it was kind of more organic i mean we would do um you know we live about 35 40 minute drive from each other um but uh-huh. so we wouldn't we wouldn't be together all that often but we would make sure we we did a face to face Every once in a while, especially I would I would say, okay, I'm, I'm at a point where it's going five different directions. I want to make sure we're on the same page before I get going. Um, and there were a few kind of you know quote unquote set piece uh, right. scenes in, in that we kind of we kind of established ahead of time, or maybe, maybe even set up pretty early in the book. We knew okay, we know they're going to follow this clue, and that's going to this this X Y and Z is going to happen because of it. But as far as the the answers to the big mysteries that are raised in the book, we honestly didn't know the answer to. Uh, most of them until ah. we were pretty far in, and then sometimes you obviously oh, have to then go back and go back and plant some seeds um, once you right. figure out what your book's what your book's about. <laughs> but Nelson, those, yeah, did any, you know, any of those big, yeah. Right. Nelson, did you know what you wanted the book to end up saying? There were there were a couple of things. You have to have the kind of themes in the back of your mind. I mean, it's easy to write action adventure and they're kind of comic booky. And you know, Pam, you've read right. You, you've read thousands of books. I have. Some of them have uh, one dimension, and they're very thin. Yes. Uh, they might yes. sound good up front, but they're like, you know, candy. Uh, the biggest yes. thing here was, one of them was like these, these wars against terrorism, the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, Somehow like the war in Vietnam that goes on forever and ever and ever. Yes. And the kind of people it produces. It takes, you know, regular young men and women from American society, puts them in these situations, and it's not World War II where you have a timeline and you're going to defeat the bad guys and it's over. This goes on and on. And we're trying to show, we both try to show what it does to the psyche of the people involved. The other one is just bringing out the idea of, you know, military justice and military honor and that type of thing and how it's been maybe perverted by the long, long wars. And, uh, 
And, and commerce is doing something that in civilian life, if you desert from your job, if you or I decided we don't want to be there anymore, we walk right. off. But when right. uh, a military man or a woman walks off the job, that's called desertion, which is actually right. a capital offense, and you can be actually shot for it. So, you know, we try to show the, you know, the, the, the bigger stakes in this and also the mystery of why he did it, which has to do with this long war that goes on forever and ever. So, you know, there were little, there were kind of, you know, kind of sub-themes and subplots yes. to some extent. And, you know, and I, we made him subtle. And if people don't get it, fine, that's all right, too. You read it for what it is. But if you read into it a little bit more carefully, you see what we were trying to get at, too. I will tell you, I'll go, I'm going back to Scott Brody again because I liked his character very much. Um, I am. I felt the same way he did. I wanted to know why and why so many people who seem to be in, <clears throat> pardon me, upper echelon positions were so interested in finding him uh, dead or alive. You know, I, I had questions too. I wanted to know. I wanted. I always want to know why, and it, I. So I was right with Scott, and I think at first, um, his uh, his assistant Maggie really didn't care the, of the why, but he kind of convinced her after a while that it was important. Is that true? Did I get that right at all, Alex? Yeah, I think there's nothing like a good hero. As soon as they're told not to ask too many questions, they ask too many questions, you know. And that was that's the kind of that's the kind of guy he is. And it's it's pretty suspicious when you are, you know, he's not he's not just an army cop. I mean, he's an investigator. So when an investigator is sent and told not to investigate, it, or only right. investigate it so far as you get the guy in cuffs, so to speak, um, I think that raised some alarm bells for him and and for her too. But she at the same time is it knows that they're the only way that they're that their entire structure works is that they follow orders. Um, but they, so there's a way in which I think they both kind of maybe learned from each other and maybe checked each other a little bit. I think, which I think is makes a good, a good duo. Um, there's a, a, a screenwriting book that I can't remember the name of it right now, but it talks about murder mysteries are not, they're not there. You shouldn't call them whodunits. They're called why whodunits. Cause the interesting thing uh, is yes. that per, who, who did it. It's, it's the, it's the motive, you know, cause the motive can be ascribed to all sorts of different people, but the motive is what the story's about. I agree with you 100%. Um, now, it's my understanding that you're on book tour together, right, Nelson? We are, yes, and uh, going to Florida soon. And you're going to be in my fair town uh, at um, Read Between the Vines, correct? That's correct. And, be, um, uh, yeah, Read Between the Vines is on uh, Tuesday, November 5th. Well, that's tomorrow. Um, is that a is that a is that a private event? Do you know? Because I'd love to go and have you guys sign my book. <laughs> it's a, I think it's ticketed. Uh, they don't tell ticketed. us. Uh, yeah, they don't, uh, they don't tell us sure. too much. Uh, Pam, you probably know authors on tour. They tell you as little yeah. as you can, they can get away with. Absolutely. Um, I'll ask Amanda where it is. I'll I'll give her an email after we finish. Right. Um, are you going to write together, gentlemen, again? Well, it was a three-book deal that I made when I, in a weak moment, and uh, didn't, I didn't want, you know, I wanted to see how the first one went. Well, the first one went well, and uh, actually this book is going to debut on the New York Times combined list, combined meaning print and e-book list at number three. 
So I think we did a great job. And, uh, I think you did, too. The reviews have been very good. Yes, and, they uh, have. And the you know, Amazon, I think, is at 4.5 or something like that. It changes every minute. Yeah. But, you yes, know, you know all, the, the editor was thrilled. The agents were thrilled. Everybody was thrilled. I mean, this thing could have been a disaster. We all know that. <laughs> Your co-author, uh, it's, it, it's, it's tricky to begin with. Your co-author with uh, any family member, whether it be your spouse or your grandchild or whoever, uh, yeah. you, could, uh, you could ruin Thanksgiving dinner easily. But uh, we, we are going to have Thanksgiving dinner together. We're, we're going to celebrate. Oh, that's nice. Celebrate, <laughs> yes. Your success. Alex, are you excited about doing this again? I am, yeah, definitely. I mean, we already, we've got a outline pretty much done for the sequel to The Deserter. Um, and, yeah, I'm really excited for it. It's, it's going to be different. I think we, we both learned a lot from this experience, and it's going to change the next experience. So I'm interested to see how that goes. But I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm entering it uh, pretty, pretty happy with the characters we created and kind of the world we made, so I'm excited to get back to it. Are you enjoying book tour, Alex? <laughs> Some of it. I, I like, you know, I, I'm surprised myself that I like talking. I do like meeting people. I like meeting readers and, you know, we're going around meeting librarians and, and bookstore owners and stuff. That stuff's an, an enjoying, enjoyable. Uh, I don't like, I don't like airplanes that much, but other than that, yeah. I'm having a good time. Yeah. Tra- travel, travel these days is a lot more difficult than it ever has been before. Um, I, I read nightmares about people coming back from BoucherCon and, you know, staying in, in airports for hours upon hours. So yeah. I understand yeah. that. Um, uh, I, Nelson, will you ever go back to any of your other books, to Corey or Sutter, do you think? Or have you kind of moved on and now that you have this trilogy? Well, I also have a, a separate contract with my um, publisher, Simon Schuster, to do a three-hour, three-book deal. The first one was The Cuban Affair. And for right. the second one, we all agreed well, we should bring John Corey back. Ah. Um, you know, it's a, it's probably a commercial decision. The Corey books outsell everything that I write. Um, I thought The Cuban Affair was very good, but and it sold very well. But the, the Corey character, everybody seems to love this character. So that's what I'm working on now. And uh, that'll... So Alex and I are going to have, uh, you know, two books out uh, close to each other. One is going to be the co-author, and the other one will be my solo John Corey book. So that'll be whatever, whenever we get them out, whenever we finish them. And that should be interesting to see how these two books do, you know, kind of back-to-back. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about it. It's kind of, re- you know, rejuvenated me. Um, I'm so and, glad. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's good, and uh, I think... You know, uh, we're looking for a movie deal on this book on the deserter, and if we oh, do get a movie so deal, good. I, I, I think it I would think be so, great. Right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I think uh, it would be awesome. There's so much action and so much great dialogue in this book. Um, Alex, are you thinking maybe authoring a book on your own? <laughs> uh, maybe down the line. I'm not, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I've got at least one more co-authored book, hopefully two to write, and that'll, that'll definitely take up my time. But I would, you know, I'm, I'm. It's something I used to think about doing before I got into film. So it's, I'm not. I'm kind of revisiting that that idea. Are you? For sure. Are you still working in film as you're co-authoring this book? No, it's, it's pretty much a full-time thing. Um, I'd, I'd done, you know, I'd, I'd finished, I'd wrapped up an editing job, pretty much right when my dad approached me about about this, so it, it timed out well. So I'm kind of put, putting that all on the back burner. Wow. So, um, Alex, tell us where we can find you on the web. 
Sure. Uh, my website is alexdemille.com, um, and my Instagram and uh, Twitter are also Alec, at Alex DeMille, and Facebook is Alex DeMille Author. Very good. And Lord Nelson, <laughs> tell us where we can find you, my friend. Yes, nelsondemille.com. No, I'm sorry, nelsondemille.net. Why don't I know that? And then I'm also uh, Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram. Do you guys like doing Instagram, or do you have people who help you with it? Because I don't know how to do it, and everyone says I should. <laughs> it's actually my favorite of the three. Um, because yeah. I like, you know, I like I like to doing picture photos and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. I hired somebody because you Too know much, the isn't publishers it? the publishers want you yeah. to bring something to the table. They want you to come in with your built-in audience and your social media. But I just, you know, I, I put so much time into my books. And I, I hired, somebody said to me, hire a 25-year-old. So I hired a 25-year-old girl, and <laughs> she knows exactly what she's doing. I don't know, I don't know exactly. what she's doing, but it That's works. great. I'm so glad. Um, words to aspiring authors, um, Alex, after you've done your first book. Uh, well, I can't speak about how to get break in because I, I kind of skipped those steps a little bit. But as far as the, the actual work of, of writing, um, mm-hmm. it's, you know, everybody said it, but it's really it's about discipline. It's about routine because it's writing a book is the hardest thing you're going to do probably in any given day. Um, there's so many other things you could do instead. Uh, so, yeah, you have to you have to get up and you have to, you know, sit in front of the whatever, whether it's a legal pad or a computer. And even if you, you're, you're not feeling uh, your sharpest that day, you have to do it anyway. And you have to tell yourself, I might be writing, I might, I might write nothing but bad stuff all day, and then tomorrow I'll make it better. <laughs> I think that that's kind of the way I had to approach it. I'm writing every day, whether it's good or whether it's bad. You just kind of keep going, and it's a muscle, and you got to work it. That's a really good piece of advice. And and from the international best-selling author, your words of advice for someone who wants to write a book, Nelson. Well, I, I always tell people, read, read, read. I mean, yes. they have to know what kind of book they want to write. And, you know, you, you, you're so well-read. If you wanted to write romances, that's what you should be reading. And if you wanted to write action-adventure thrillers, you know, go to the people who have you know, been successful. And you can't, you don't copy them, but you're going to learn, you know, what not to do. And uh, people sit down to write, um, get real serious about it, and they want to, you know, they get into the purple prose and they get into – you know, kind of a grimness or something, something literary, which really yes. everybody wants to read. And uh, I, I found out early on if you put some good old-fashioned American humor into the book, whether it be military humor or uh, NYPD cop humor, uh, it lightens the yes. book up. And people, people love the quips and the wisecracks because that's the way we talk. So, you know, and don't have a tin ear. Listen to how people talk. And when you write your dialogue, uh, try to reproduce what you've heard all day long. It's interesting you say that because when I'm reading, um, let's say, a thriller that is so full of action that at the end of the paragraph I take a break, I I want there to be a little bit of gallows humor so that I can reset and get ready for the next chapter. And oftentimes um, I will get to the last few pages of a book and um, I know I, I, it's winding up to be a real bang. And so I'll close the book and read it the next day <laughs> just because I need to break. And, and, you know, unless there is because 
you're right, especially like in cop procedurals and everything, you know, or in cartel procedurals, I never see that. But but I like the fact that, you know, not everybody, unless it's the, you know, the psychopath in, in who's the antagonist in the book. And even then, sometimes I have a sense of humor. But but we in our everyday lives, I mean, I'm a certified victim advocate. I work with crime victims all the time. You got to have you got to be able to laugh a, a little bit, you know, with the police I work around and, and the prosecutors. You have to be able to take a break and laugh. So I appreciate that you do that very much, Nelson. And I have to tell you, I highly recommend The Deserter to listeners here today. And I want to thank both Lord Nelson DeMille and Conqueror Alex DeMille for being with me. And I hope you'll come back when the next book is available. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Pam. Great to speak with you. Thank you, and I'll look forward to – I hope I get to see you tomorrow. If I can get in, I will. I'm bringing my book, so um, and I'll just say, see, I have the book. <laughs> Maybe they'll let me well, in. <laughs> well, when I find out what's going on, I'll see if I can get your name at the door. But, again, if you want this is the last to know what's going on, I, I keep course. it in the dark. Well, I'll I'll drop you that email that I promised you right. and and let you know how to contact me. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with me. I'm I'm honored that you were here and all success with um your tour and this book. And listeners, thank you so much for being with me. I want to thank you and thank you mom and dad. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.